Hello, everyone. Welcome to the We're Kicking the Podcast, where I get the privilege to talk to the legends and warriors of the martial arts world. Today, I am joined by American Kenpo's own 10th degree black belt, senior master, and author of Life in Session, the senior master Bob White story. Bob White himself, Mr. White, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you. So, uh, about the book, honestly, I didn't know about it. Uh, where could one get your book? Well, we have books uh, here at the studio, but also it's on Amazon, and you can get it uh, through our website. Oh, okay. So, it is on Amazon. So, if it, you're correct. on Amazon, just look at it. And again, that's, uh, uh, let me look it up here again. That's uh, the Senior Master Bob White story. Correct. Life in oh. Session. Life in Session. All right. Yeah. Thank and again, thank you, thank you so much, sir, for having me. Thank you for being here. I truly appreciate this. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so, um, really quickly, how old were you when you started martial arts? I was 14. I had a high school teacher that uh, was teaching karate, Shotokan karate, at a local athletic club. So, I went over there and enrolled with my father. And we got started, and it was something I really enjoyed. But I was playing baseball and football at the same time. So I didn't go to Kempo, which is my current style, of course, until 1966 when I was about 16. Whoa, okay. So did you manage to get your black belt in your previous? No, I no? didn't. No. I didn't. Okay. I was just coming up through the ranks, and I really wasn't studying um, consistently because of my other athletic involvement. But um, I loved it, and I wanted to keep on doing it. And then they opened up. I'd like to say Ed Parker opened up, and I always wanted to study with him. But honestly, I didn't even know who he was at the time. But I went over there, and I watched a couple of guys freestyling, and that's what I wanted to do. Whoa. Okay, so you didn't even know who Mr. Parker was, Ed Parker. You just showed up one day and saw it. It was just from convenience. That's, that's pretty awesome. And uh, so... You you signed up and you obviously you don't know who he was. Tell me more about the, coming up in the ranks with him. How was he? Was he well? He was bigger than life at the time. You know, <laughs> he, it really he had a lot of schools. So this wasn't his headquarters school. He was up in Pasadena, but we had a guy there by the name of Fred Brewster who's still very close to me and a very good man. Um, but he was running the school along with Bob Perry and. Whenever Ed Parker would come around, it was like we were cleaning the school, you know, we're getting it all ready for him. And uh, he just was and was and is somebody that somebody had so much respect for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I honestly, when I when you do your seminars, you guys talk about him and I'm truly in shock. I wish I would have met him. I mean, from what you guys say, he was an incredible person. Well, he was. And, you know, Colin Van Dusen brings up a great point that he said he was at the internationals in 1989 and was going to walk up and introduce himself to Mr. Parker. And he said, I don't want to bother him. I'll wait till next year. And there wasn't a next year. He died in 1990. So Colin never had a chance to meet him. And so the lesson is get your hand out there, walk up and introduce yourself. And uh, you'll find uh, you get that opportunity that you don't want to miss. Yeah. And so, did you ever get instructed by him? Oh, a lot. You know, I, w- I was talking earlier. We had uh, a Monday morning management meeting 
where we would go up and we would learn how to teach, how to talk to people, how to show people around the school, how to answer information calls when people called. And it was a great education that's allowed me to do this as a career for well over 50 years. But I owe so much to him for providing that information and education. So uh, he also tested me for various belts all the way up and including my black belt. And uh, my black belt test was September 11th, 1971. So when the big tragedy happened with the bombing, uh, it would have been my 30-year anniversary, and we had a big party planned, but we called it off, of course, because it was yeah. such a terrible time. But uh, this year, it'll be 50 years yeah. since I tested. Wow. I started, te I started teaching in 68, full-time, okay. and really never had another career. This is what I do for a living, and it was what I have done for a living since that time. And I just feel very fortunate. It's something I love. Um, I don't tire. I was talking earlier about retirement, but I really don't think that's <laughs> going to take place. Yeah. Uh, so do you always knew you wanted to be an instructor? Because obviously now you affected so many people. So how did that come about where you said, I'll be an instructor, you know? Well, it, to me, I had a choice. I was playing college baseball and I had a tryout with the California Angels. I think at that time they were the... California Angels of Anaheim, so they've gone through a bunch of changes. <laughs> but I went up to a, a tryout up at Sawtail Field at UCLA, and it was rained out, which never rains in California, but it rained yeah. that weekend. <laughs> and then the next weekend, I fought in a tournament, and I ended up getting a broken leg. Oh. And then, yeah, I was supposed to come back in two weeks, but uh, the broken leg took over. And But right at that time, they really needed teachers because karate was really becoming popular. You know, we had the Kung Fu series, and uh, there started to be some Bruce Lee, um, who had been at the Internationals in 64, 65. That's how he was introduced to the American public. Mm -hmm. And karate became more and more popular. So we were getting people that enrolling like crazy. So it was great for me because it opened up uh, a spot for teachers. So I had my leg in a cast, but I wasn't going to let this opportunity pass. So I was yeah. teaching classes with a cast on. <laughs> you know, but I just didn't want to uh, not have that chance. So that's how I got started. And I've been fortunate to be able to do it since then. Opened my own school in 1972. And we've had a school ever since. We've been at this location now for 42 years. Well, so this wasn't your first school here? No, my first school was in Garden Grove, okay. and uh, we just had an immediate success. And when I say this, it's not to brag. I'm just telling you the truth. Yeah. But we immediately um, became very well-known in our community because we were winning a lot of tournaments, and a lot of my students... Uh, I recruited from my high school who were, they were all athletes. They were all baseball players and football players. Guys like Dave Brock, yeah. um, who is an eighth degree along with Colin Van Dusen. A week from last night, I'll have my third eighth degree, one of the guys here, Jim McClure. So there'll be three eighths, Colin, Dave Brock, and Jim McClure. So we re immediately got this reputation and our school just started growing and we'd go to tournaments and we were pretty much dominant and that got us started and in reality if you if i tested in 71 which i did open my own school in in 72 under normal 
situations, I would be ill prepared to run a business oh. with only one year experience. Yeah. But because of the education I got from Mr. Parker and the fact that we had a really good school, we had some great people. You know, when I teach karate, I always remember right off the bat, I remember the coaches that I had in other sports and what coaches made an impact on me. And I wanted to be that type of coach. And it was always somebody who took a personal interest in my progress. So I've tried to do that with my students. In fact, I haven't tried to do it. I do that yeah. with all of my students. I have a personal interest in them, and they know that. There's an old saying about nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that sounds kind of corny, yeah. but it has really been one of our vehicles for success throughout the years is that people know that we're involved in them not just from a business standpoint, but we're yeah. involved in them getting better in martial arts. Whoa, that's I like that. That's that's awesome. I like what you just said. And I, I mean, honestly, I'm here just in awe at admiring your stories. And so it's kind of going to take me to ask the next question because I'm still processing everything. But take it back a little bit to um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Parker and American Kempel, because for the listener, for the listeners that don't know. He was the founder of American Kempo, correct? Correct. Yeah. So do you know when he started? Certainly. Yeah. He started in Hawaii. Okay. And he started with uh, William Chow. And he came over here. Uh, he was Mormon in, in Hawaii. He went to Brigham Young in, in Utah. And he started a karate program there. And there's some people that are still part of his lineage in Utah. Some really oh. good martial artists there. But then he moved to Pasadena. And from Pasadena, he started the International Karate Championships in 1964. And it became the biggest tournament in the world. And many people's careers, including Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee, were launched at that tournament. Oh, so he was a very big sparring person. He was a big, he loved to spar. Well, a lot of people, he was just, as I mentioned, kind of larger than life. He was so, excuse me, charismatic. He had the type of personality where he could talk to the Hawaiians over there in their language, Pigeon. (laughs) And then he could also talk to presidents of countries. And he was very wow. big in Chile, and he worked with their dictator, Pinochet, and um, it was, he just had this education that at the time, nobody had that combination of highly skilled, very innovative, very structured, uh, and at the same time had the education to carry him. So it was pretty remarkable, and it was so good for us because he created a curriculum that was and is fantastic for taking a new student up through the ranks. Yeah, and uh, every, again, because it's American Kempo, and I know this, I'm familiar with it, as Mr. Venduzzi and Colin mm-hmm. Venduzzi say, say, you're familiar with it, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, each rank has, yellow, I believe, has 12, I believe. We have 10 techniques ten for techniques, yellow belt. 10? Mm-hmm. And then after that, it just keeps gradually progressing more and more. Well, the way that we do things, and, and this is directly from, from Mr. Parker, we when I started, they didn't have yellow belt at all. Oh. In fact, many of my students um, never went through the yellow belt process. This came about probably in about mid-70s, late-70s, they created the yellow belt. Uh, I didn't really start doing it until the late-80s. 
So we just started with the orange belt card. Uh, originally, there weren't names of the techniques. They were just grabs, like left hair grab, that's clutching feathers, or left lapel grab, that's low and kimono. Um, but then he originally came out with a system for each uh, belt. There was 32 techniques, like 32 techniques for orange, 32 for purple, 32 for blue, 32 for green. Then there was the green-orange, and the green-orange were the green belt techniques, but then continuations of that or extensions of those techniques. Uh, he then went down to 24 techniques, and I think before he died, he was in the process of dropping it down to 16 techniques. And the, the concept was eliminate so many techniques, but pour, put more emphasis on your basics. Yeah. And I really like that idea. It doesn't mean that everybody really followed that. A lot of people thought, well, 16 techniques, that's a vehicle for faster belt promotions. Yeah. But the way that the techniques work at our school, and I'm sure yeah. at Collins School, is that the techniques and forms are all made up of ingredients. And the ingredients, if the ingredients are solid, which are the basics, you could put them together and make not only a great meal, but a great self-defense technique. Yeah. Yeah. But the ingredients have to be good. If the ingredients aren't good, it doesn't matter what the recipe is. The meal won't be any good. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to get those solid, solid techniques and basics so that uh, you have become a much better martial artist. Oh, so, Remember, yeah. there's a big difference between being a martial artist and a partial artist. <laughs> a partial artist is when somebody just runs a little bit of the of the uh, techniques or the, maybe I don't like sparring, so don't do that. Yeah. But if somebody that wants the whole meal, then you better get your forms and basics, self-defense techniques, and you better get the sparring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, and I mean, like, as you said, Colin came up, I mean, he had to do it all as well. Sure. No doubt he will. Yeah. But how about yourself? Do you have any preference between techniques, forms, sparring? Yeah. You yourself? Because the, for the first, honestly, the reason I learned the self-defense techniques, because you had to learn them to get belts. And I wanted to fight in the black belt division. All I wanted to do was spar. Yeah. that's That was my love and my interest. Um, but... As time has gone on, I've gotten a little more maturity, and I realize mm -hmm. that you have to have balance. And yeah. you have to, if you do an inventory on your art, and I do still to this day, I think about what is it that I do really well, and where could I improve? Not that you can't improve on everything, but what needs the most improvement? And then I isolate that and work on the areas that need the most attention. I do that whether I'm playing tennis, or as a husband, or as a father. All those yeah. things. You need to do an inventory and work on the areas that need the most attention. Oh, man. That's that's awesome. So um, let's let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, you're competing. I know you went 73 and 74 undefeated. In well, your team. I was on a team yeah, that was undefeated. Yeah, yeah. The, it was the Mike Stone, who I just talked to last night yeah. for um, an hour and a half on, oh. a, on a show. Yeah. And Mike was the first international champion, 64 and 65. And he put together this national competition where the top teams in the country would come together to compete. And I was fortunate I was on the team that was undefeated for those years. We had a great team, too. We had some real talented people. 
Whoa. And from my understanding, back then, we didn't, you guys didn't have the sparring gloves. As, no, you know, inter- interesting story, yeah. because the first year that we fought, no pads. The <laughs> second year, which I fought from, what, 66 till 73, I think, without pads. But in the first, or excuse me, the second national all-star team competition, Mike Stone walks into the room and all these, the top fighters in the country are in the room and he comes in with this big box and he throws us the box and in the box were, it looked like a bunch of marshmallows, <laughs> but they were white hand pads and foot pads. He goes, it's full contact tonight, guys. And, and it was, I mean, we went from point karate, which it was always full contact to the body. Yeah. You just couldn't hit to the head with full contact because somebody would start bleeding and then you'd get disqualified. <laughs> so it was full yeah. contact to the body, but controlled to the head. But now it was full contact to the head. Yeah. So it was really good. We had a great plan. Our plan was we bow in and punch the guy right in the mouth. <laughs> and then the idea, because then people would either get mad yeah. or they would get afraid. And it gave us an edge because you know, the the enemy is emotion. Yeah. And if they, they're not used to which nobody wants to get used to getting hit in the head. <laughs> no. But it was a great strategy, and we ended up winning. Oh, man, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. So you, you just kept competing through all those years? Yes, yeah. fought a lot, traveled and fought. And, you know, I, I, if I have a regret, it said I didn't fight more. And the yeah. reason I was running a school and yeah. a typical thing. And we, again, we were talking about it last night at my school. If my students are fighting, I'm there. So yeah. I would get there at the tournament, like at eight o'clock in the morning, say at the internationals. The last time I fought, I fought at one o'clock at night in the morning the next day. Because you're there all day long with your students and you're encouraging them and you're running from ring. You know how it is. You're running from ring to ring. And then they call black belt teams like at 11, you know. So, (laughs) I mean, it just made for uh, it was too much. But other guys would stay away and only get there in time to fight in their division. And fortunately, we still won. But it it just became... um, more of a too long of a day yeah and what happens your family life suffers because uh, you're traveling and going to various tournaments but i've had some great experience you know i fought in albuquerque new mexico and it was um the uh, all-star grand championships in albuquerque and some of the best guys were there chuck norris was there and some uh, bill wallace and just some top people so that was a great tournament. And then they used to have the CKC. It was the California Karate Championships. It was held in San Francisco. And it was every bit as big as the internationals at that time. Oh, yeah, okay. Big, big event. Oh, and I guess, okay. That was, <laughs> so internationals, I mean, I, I remember I participated in that one. And it was, a. I remember the first time it was like, whoa, there's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I honestly... Honestly, I didn't know the gravity of the situation. I didn't know who started it. Mm-hmm. And as I found out, I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. And I remember one year I saw you and Mr. Pat Salantri mm-hmm. there. And funny enough, I was there for another convention. Oh, is that but, right? Yeah. Wow. But I was there and I saw you guys. And I was like, I, I need a picture. I need a picture because Mr. Pat Salantri, I knew him from Big Bear when Mr. Colin Benderson used to take us sure. and do seminars. And I just remember I was his... 
as they would say, his partner. He used to do everything on me. Oh, great. Which was awesome. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I always thought of that as a, as a rite of passage. If they do something on you, you, part you of the take deal, it. No yeah, doubt. It's part of the deal. <laughs> and, it, and it's great. And I, and I love that. So um, coming back to your to your teaching, uh, you've been doing it since, I'm sorry. How long 1968. 1968. And obviously, every time it's just something new. You always learn something new every day. Always. Yeah. So do you have an age preference that you like to teach or do you like teach them all the same? No, they all offer challenges yeah. and they all offer rewards. You know, sometimes you don't know where your knowledge is coming from. You know, I was teaching a young man um, in Texas one time and he raised his hand and I go, yes, how may I help you? And he goes, well, I'd like to say something. I go, okay. He goes, well, you know that life begins when your comfort zone ends. I go, well, let me go write that down. I like that. Yeah, but I still use it. He's just a young kid. In fact, I remember his yeah. name. It was Logan Norris. He's one of Brian Duffy's students uh, in Austin, Texas. But so, you know, you don't know. Yeah. You really don't know. Yeah, I had a, a guy a couple of years ago, 66 years old, got his black belt. Oh, wow. So a remarkable accomplishment. So yeah. that's quite extremities from, from the young, you know, all the way up. Yeah. But um, it's all enjoyable. I was talking earlier, you know, you have to eliminate expectations because expectations are resentments under construction. Yeah. But you also have to help somebody get to someplace they never knew they were capable of getting. And yeah. that's one of the fun parts of teaching. You know why it's called a coach? You're a coach because a, a coach is something you can write in. Yeah. Well, it's our job to take a student from an existing state to a desired state. And you're the coach that's going to get them and move them there. Then that's fun. Yeah. That is fun. So, yeah. And obviously through the years, martial arts keeps evolving. Mm-hmm. I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. However, back in when you were training, Things were a lot more strict, like you see in Kung Fu movies where, you know, the instructor's super strict. And if you're not in a horse stands, they come over with a little stick and hit you in the back. Was it like that for you while you were training? In some cases. But, you know, you learn. Yeah. There are things and instructors that I had on the way up that I learned some wonderful things from. But I also learned some things that I didn't want to be like that. Yeah. You know, there was a lot. We used to get kicked in the stomach a lot just during training. Oh. Um, there's just no need for it. I don't really like the idea of an instructor hitting a student. Yeah. I just never have. I think it's a betrayal of trust. Yeah. You know, just like sparring with a student. Yeah. If I were to hurt one of my students when I was sparring, I would feel that I've betrayed them. That, that is true. Yeah, yeah. I think you could be demanding and you could want them to perform at their highest level and they're going to, have the reality that part of their training is putting pain on vacation and they're going to be hurt at one time, but just not by me. They're going to be sparring and they're going to get hit. But for me to hit my students, you know, they're not going to hit back. I mean, that's hard. That's like being a bully. So I'm not interested in that. Um, So, and that's something I've seen throughout the year. And I still see, I see people teaching their classes and they're laughing because they knocked the wind out of their student. Oh, and, yeah. you know, if I was their student, I wouldn't stay. Yeah. Yeah, there's no real reason for that other than self-glorification of the person doing the hitting. Yeah, that, that is true. Uh, and that's 
that opened up my my eyes a lot. I mean, uh, I honestly, I'm and I and I got this from Jack Felton and Tara Tara, mm-hmm. Tara Van Dusen. When I sparred them, they always they were my instructors, but at the same time, they always tapped me and not to pain, but they, I knew where I got hit. Yes, and I as soon as I was like. Well, they're not hitting me hard. They're just tapping me. Yeah. I knew I wanted to be like that. Yeah. So, well, Jack Felton, if you want to spar with somebody, fight with the best. Yeah. Because he's going to have control. Yeah. I, I just was showing earlier, there's a picture out there of Benny Urquides, the best guy to spar with. And he's 64 and old, full contact fighter. But if you're going to fight with somebody, fight with somebody who has emotional and physical control of themselves. Yeah. A lot of times when people are hitting hard, it's because they're scared. Or they're trying to make a point or look yeah. good at your expense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to be like that. No, and that's that's when I came up and I was like, you know what? I want to be like that. And to yeah. this day, that's if for whatever reason I do have to spar a student or whatnot, I make sure that I just tap. Yes. I don't go hard. I don't because, like you said, I have control over myself. Yes. I know there's no point in going hard. No. But if you tap, like our our system is point sparring. Uh, so yeah, just tap and tap. And mm-hmm. I know I could do everything. I know I could go all out on this person, but there's no need to, like you said, no, there's exactly. no need to. You know, Jack came in here first when he was three years old. Really? Yeah. 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 Just, uh, you know, they said, when do you start karate? I don't think Jack ever did not do karate. He's like <laughs> my daughters, you know, he's, they've been, yeah. they were raised here at the studio. They've been doing it in, for their entire life. Wow. So all your daughters are black belts here too? No, no, I have six daughters and two of them are black belts. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And a couple of green belts. And then, and, yeah. <laughs> and your wife's also a black belt under you, right? Yeah. She's uh, honestly, not just because she's my wife, but mm-hmm. I don't think that uh, I've really had a student ever that's worked as hard as she has. She yeah. she trains. She just turned 64, but she works out every day or runs every day. When we we live about three miles from here, she'll yeah. run here to the studio to teach classes on Saturdays and then run back home. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, it's amazing to me that yeah. she's that disciplined. Sometimes people will train sporadically for a particular event. She trains every day and doesn't miss. So I have a lot of respect for her. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And um, so now I wanted to ask you this. I know there's a lot of techniques. However, is there one that you like to teach? One that you go, oh, I like this technique. Well, I was asked that question in Ireland a couple of years ago. And one of the they asked me what my favorite technique was and it's calming the storm storm. and the reason uh we had a uh, one of our black belts that was attacked at the beach a guy came at him with a crowbar and there was they were like skinheads and there was like three of them and he did the first move of calming the storm he moved in punched the guy in the face and those all three guys jumped him but it's what saved his life. I saw him in the hospital later that night, like at two in the morning. And he, first thing he said to me is calming the storm saved my life. No way. So that's my favorite technique for that reason. (laughs) And as forms go, katas, do you have any preference as well? I like short three. Short three. Yeah. It's all grabs entirely against grabs. um, And it's the first advanced form that puts, 
self-defense techniques in predetermined sequence. Before that, or we call them dictionary forms, short one through long two. Yeah. But from short three on, all forms are, th- are self-defense techniques. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah, all those. And I know, I mean, I'm under Colin Van Dusen. I'm a black belt under him. However, it took me probably till green or brown belt to realize that, wait, these are all grabs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's those little things that always surprise me. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, well it, it never stops. You yeah. Know? Never. That's how it is. Yeah. You know, you learn new things about old material, and that's why it becomes fun. You yeah. know what the word do means in dojo? Oh, you got me there. Okay. It means the way. the way. And it's the way of constantly seeking improvement. And no matter if you've been studying 50 minutes, 50 months, or 50 years, there's still so much to learn about martial arts. That is true. Oh, man. And so can you give us a little bit of, uh, and I, I meant to ask this sooner, but now it's better than ever, uh, American Kempo, what it's a little bit of history on that, or you know, I don't know what you're trying to say, but sure. Yeah. Well, Ed Parker based our whole system on logic. Now, Ed Parker had a judo background before he started karate, but we don't have that many judo techniques. And the reason is because in judo, you put both hands on the person's uniform and you throw them. And Ed Parker knew if you put both hands on their uniform, there's nothing protecting your face or your groin. So that's why we have checks. To my knowledge, the first system created with checks and a check is a move that prevents against intentional or unintentional movement but most systems especially where i came from the shotokan there are no checks it's full chamber your your lead hand returns for opposite torque because it's all about power but the defense suffers ed parker knew that your defense is always at its weakest point when you're thinking offense when you turn into your opponent, like right here, I'm protected, but if yeah. I open up to throw my rear hand, there's more target. Yeah. So uh, what he did is he based the system on logic. And we, when we used to do the self-defense technique, we would have about 10 of us up there in the mo- Monday morning management meetings. And then we would look for vulnerabilities or what ifs. What if yeah. a guy did this? What? And then we would work on improving the technique because Ed Parker was very, very much concerned on not only, of course, logic, but on evolution. You know, yeah. he really liked to see things change. Um, and the biggest thing with American Kempo Karate is that it's geared toward self-defense. Yeah. Even tournaments are a byproduct. And I think you can learn a lot from self-defense techniques that help you in your fighting. But the primary Pri- our primary purpose is to develop skills for uh, confrontations with the idea that hopefully it'll never happen. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I've honestly, I've never had to use my self-defense on anyone. And so have you had to use this on? I have, but okay. not, not in a real long time. Oh, okay. You know, um, yeah. Ron Sanchez, you know who he is? Yes. yes Ron is a retired captain with the LAPD. And the night he got his black belt, we went out after the test and we end up in a big confrontation with about, uh, I don't know, as I get older, there's more of them, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know how it goes. The older I get, the tougher I was, yeah. you know? <laughs> but uh, there, we were outnumbered, I will say that. Oh. Uh, we take away the machetes and the AK-47s they had. And stuff. <laughs> oh. No, no. But, yeah. uh, but, you know, it happens, but yeah. it doesn't happen very 
often, you know, thank God. Yeah. You know, what Ron does so well is he has a program and he has a book about pre-fight indicators and you can start to recognize things and then, you know, it's fight or flight. And honestly, I prefer the flight. Yeah. It's a lot better. Uh, distance is your best friend. Somebody wanted to fight me in Huntington. I'd rather be in Costa Mesa. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, we want to, we want to get away from trouble if at all possible. Yeah. I, I, I don't, and I don't really know where I heard this from. It could have been Colin or it could have been yourself, but I heard whenever you're teaching a self-defense technique and or some some form of self-defense, always tell your students first, if the opportunity arises, run away. Create your distance yeah. and run away. Don't think because you know a martial art, you're going to get the upper hand because you don't know if this person has a friend or what they have with them. Yeah, and you don't know. Yeah. It goes from... It can go real south very long, very fast. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is just de-escalation. You know, there's some wonderful books out now. Uh, Peyton Quinn has written some great books. A guy by the name of Gavin DeBecker has a book that most police departments, when they put on self-defense clinics, really advocate reading that book. It's called The Gift of Fear. Okay. And fear is a gift. When you can recognize danger and then escape from it. You know, human beings are the only animals that can see something dangerous and stick around to see what happens. <laughs> If it's a deer and there's a fire, that deer's out of there. Yeah. You know, a wild animal, they're going to get out and away from trouble. Um, and we're not like that. A lot yeah. of times we want to be uh, looky-loos, I guess they're called. Yeah. And then we get in the middle of it. So uh, I think if you really... As I mentioned earlier, there's partial artists and martial artists. Yeah. I think a real serious martial artist is going to want to expand their education. And there's so much that you could read that will do that. Yeah. And I mean, this is why I'm doing this because. Oh, that's great. You, you have. I'm, I'm in shock. Everything you've been telling me, I'm still processing. And it's awesome. I mean, I, I love it. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, I've been able to stick around for the last 50-something years. But, yeah. you know, you learn. You move away from pain and toward pleasure. Yeah. And for me, martial arts gives me great pleasure. I love it. And it's being able to help people and be in service. The happiest people I know are people that are helping others. Okay. And whether it's a doctor, an attorney. My wife's a nurse besides yeah. her karate. Uh, but it's <laughs> being in service to others. Yeah. That's Oh, I, I saw a sign in the front, and you could help me out with this. I, it's probably been a while, but it goes along the line where a, a child never thank his parent if they quit or some, something along those lines. Can yeah, it's, I, I never met an adult that was happy that they were allowed to quit as a child. Yes. And it's so true. Yeah. You know, a lot of times kids do not know what's best for them. Yeah. And the idea is encourage them, and there's certain things you can do to ensure that they stick with it. Yeah. Uh, we have something we call the triad to success, and it's how parents, the student, and the instructor work together as a team. And as a result, you get success stories yeah. where the kids are able to go up through the ranks. But nobody's happy years after if they were allowed to quit. Yeah, no, and... And the only reason I bring this up is because uh, I don't know about you, but I, I've met throughout the throughout the years so many parents that, oh, I'm a little, little Bobby or little Billy, you know, take a break. No doubt. And I met parents that are like, no, you're going to stick with this and you're going to stick with this until you reach the top. 
Yeah. And of course, the black belt's not the top. And, but at that point, they want to keep training. Correct. At that point, they love it and they want to keep training. And yes, I've, I've, every student I met that started from young and they quit or they took a break. Now that I see I'm a teenager, they tell me, I wish my, I wish I would have never quit. Yeah. Well, I learned the hard way. My daughter, my oh. daughter was, I made her fight in tournaments for one year. And when she was like 13, she had a great year. She won a lot of trophies. And I go, at the end of the year, I'll leave it up to you to see what you want to do. So she decided that she was going to quit. And it was lazy parenting on my part. Mm-hmm. Now, about 15 years later, she came back and got her black belt. And the first thing uh-huh. she said to me when she got her black belt Dad, why'd you ever let me quit? You know? <laughs> and I was fighting with her the whole time. So yeah. that's a story I share now with my parents, yeah. when the parents of the students here, uh, to let them know that's my experience. And the idea is you've got to do what's best for them, not what's easiest for you. Because oh. it's not easy for to, for to bring these people in and argue. The, a friend of mine had a great suggestion. He said, every time, you you might have already done this, but... Every time it was time to go do karate, their child would resist because he'd have he'd be taking them away from uh, his friends. Yeah. He said, what you t- could do is 30 minutes before it's time to leave, have them do a chore. You're that uh, guy. Yeah. So now you're rescuing. You know, you're not pulling them away. So that that works. Yeah. But um, kids are, you know, they're manipulative and they're going to want to take the easier, softer way. Yeah. But uh, they don't know what's going to be best for them. Yeah. And I, I've used that one plenty of times. Yeah. And just either playing the game or playing with their toys or their friends and go do some chores. And sure enough, they come at me. Oh, Jose. That worked. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, no they, they, they know they've had fun in karate. Just coming over and just standing there ready. And they have fun. Sure. They, you need that little extra push yeah. and whatnot. Oh, Mr. White, I don't thank you so much for this. I truly appreciate it. Great, Jose. Well, yeah. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, again, your book is called? Um, the... Life in Session, the Bob White, uh, the Senior Master Bob White Store. Yes, and you can find it on Amazon or your your website. On our website, Sorry. yeah, and the website is bwkenpo.com. Yes, uh, and I'm definitely going to purchase one today because I Great. really want to take it. All <laughs> right, Jose. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Thank you again for everything. I appreciate it, and have a rest day. Have a good day, sir. All right, Jose. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you.